This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast, fresh off not only the Bannon and Restricted announcement, but the first modern event, the StarCityGames.com Open series mm-hmm. in Dallas Fort Worth, which. We got Stoneforge. Everyone got their wish. It's back in the format. We obviously saw it dominate Modo. So today we're going to cover a little bit of financial fallout from exactly what that BNR means now that we've had a little bit of time for the dust to settle um, and take it away with picks. So obviously, you know, we've got the elephant in the room, but I think we want to start with Vintage. Yes. So let's go there. So, uh, Vintage is a format I follow uh, very lightly. It's generally my peripheral, and I usually talk to people about it instead of just farting around and looking at lists. So, uh, before the pod, I decided to take a look and find the newest Vintage event that I could find post uh, BNR. And there was only one event, and uh, it was a Vintage challenge on Moto, which was, you know, awesome. That uh, a fair number of people in it, and the the top eight looked kind of typical for Vintage. Yeah compared to the last couple of months. Although there might have been more paradoxical decks now than there were before. Much. But uh, what we saw was that in this top eight, there are five decks that can play Narset. And three of them still are. So that card still maintains this, not stranglehold on the format, but anything that can play blue that is in this top eight is playing Narset. Yep. There's no fast bond, though. Uh, of the three paradoxical decks, none of them are playing fast bond, and there's one Sultai... Uh, uh, yeah, Sultai mid-range deck, which is just control, and there's a, a survival deck. Neither of them are playing fast bond, so people might still be brewing on that. I've seen a number of people have uh, vintage lands decks put together, but I don't know what that's comprised of right now. So we Can't might wait. Start, yeah. Once those are massaged into place and people have time to play the play that in leagues, we might see it pop up in the next challenge. But this BNR didn't really do much for the overall uh, vintage environment. Taking a look at the two mud lists that are available, there's one Mystic Forge in both, and the only place they really uh, differentiate is in the creature base. The one's playing um, Champion of the Foundry or something like that. It just gives you other artifacts plus one plus one, and like Phyrexian Metamorphs, and the other one's just a little more aggro uh, without all the copy effects. Yeah. But it looks just kind of standard. The one stand out to me was the, aside from the Narsets, there are 12 copies of Force of Vigor in this top eight spread across six decks because two of them are mud in this top eight uh and you know despite the fact that mud just took another hit yeah you know people still respect this deck enough you know Uh, force of vigor is an all-star card there and like i mentioned before the cast uh, i thought modern was really floating the price on that i did not think that vintage was yeah. Well, helping buoy the price, not necessarily like float it to seven dollars or eight, but just keep it from just from the floor from dropping out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to buoy it to some degree. So. Well, I also think now we've got Stoneforge in modern, so people are trying to run it in their sideboard to help answer that stuff. Yeah, and this is a card that like I have zero copies of personally, and now that I see that Vintage will keep the floor on this thing, and with Stoneforge Mystic popping up, just narrowly missing top eight on breaks that this is a time to kind of pick up that card. You do, I don't know if you want to step in and speculate on it, but if you don't have copies and you're thinking about playing it in any format, you probably should pick up a couple. Yeah. But the other thing I noticed is that 
Hogak is alive and well in Vintage. They're, yeah. The, the Survival Aggro deck is playing Hogak, and the deck titled Hogak, which is just Drench, minus the other three Golgari Drave, Grave Trolls, are both playing Hogak. Yeah. So this is yet another instance of Vintage booming a price, Force and Hogak. So it, it was pretty interesting. I really thought that with the the videos that I saw cropping up of like LSV putting up together land stacks and people talking about fast bond that we would actually see it this weekend, but we have not. So the price increases that we've seen on fast bond itself, as far as reported moto events are going, is very speculative across all yeah. versions of that card. So I I took that as my my takeaway from this. It just didn't seem like not that vintage isn't ready for fast bond. It's just that the deck lists aren't there yet because the rest yeah. of the format might not have shaken out and people don't know what they need to play with fast bond yet. Yeah, the uh, what I kind of got from it is that you know vintage is a lot more slow to innovate, generally speaking. Uh, than is like modern or legacy. You'll mostly see like cards added to extant archetypes way faster than you see new archetypes come around. Yeah. So you're a lot more likely to see something like Hogak stick around and dredge than you are fast bound to drop in and be like, boom, we're doing a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the one exception was you had Forge Shops was almost completely separate from Ravager Shops. Uh, but that was kind of a unique circumstance where you had two cards, you know, one of which is should still be restricted, uh, and another of which was just one of the most absurd card advantage engines the format's ever seen. Yeah. So I think that, you know, a lot of people thought Paradoxical would basically be the deck to go to now because Karn was keeping Paradoxical suppressed. And now that you can only run one Karn, you're way less likely to have it in your opener to keep Paradoxical down. Um, Dredge still has the best game one in the format. I was really surprised, even at the stacks exchange, and now still that you know mid range survival is still a deck. Yeah. To be fair, uh, neither of the mud decks played Karn. Yeah, I there, we're we're back to the traditional like Ravager shop style. Yep. Uh, you're seeing Karns and like some of the more like blue white control lists. You're not seeing a whole lot of it in actual shops lists, oh. and I think it's. It's interesting that that's kind of the restriction of Karn only strengthened those decks because you still have like blue white control out there with four, you know, up to four Teferi, up to four Narset, and mm -hmm. those mirrors just evolve into who lands Narset first. Yes, but it's it's interesting, I think, to see you know how that sort of evolved things. Um, because it's it's not something you would typically expect. No, not at all. And it was kind of interesting to see that aside from Narset across the the top eight, the only other planeswalker is just two copies of Jace the Mind Sculptor in the Sultime Midrange deck. Now, yep. like I said, this this doesn't encompass the rest of the format and anybody else. It just kind of got tie breaked out of top eight. But yeah. if you're going to take a snapshot of this top eight, it looks very reminiscent of what was happening over the last couple of months, minus Karn, so the percentage of mud decks in the top eight basically seemed seemingly inverted with Paradoxical. Yeah. You, you still have Paradoxical just running uh, the Standard Storm combo and Mentor, and there's one listed here as Mentor Paradoxical, which is weird, but it, it is a little bit different than the rest. Yeah. So it, you know, within this first week-ish of the BNR on Vintage, you've seen the format kind of change the way people thought it would. 
The one thing about that I found interesting about Fastbond is that ever since Crucible was printed, we've had a three-card combo engine for Vintage that was exploited then and exploitable for forever with Fastbond, Zernorp, and Crucible of Worlds, where you just gain and make make uh, yeah, you make infinite mana and gain infinite, infinite life. Yeah, and thus the land deck can kind of be kind of be built like that, and you have redundancy with Raminath Excavator for yeah. the Crucible slot or any number of ways to copy it. So people still might be massaging which utility lands you want in this deck because Vintage allows you to play all of them. Yeah. You know? By being able to, you know, play an Academy, uh, sack it for two life after you tap it for five blue seems fine. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how do you want to kill from there or take control or be aggressive? You know, like Countryside Crusher is still a card and that was a deck way back when and if you're just going to if you have a way to bring lands back to hand infinitely, then you can just make an infinite crusher and fling the the, the damn thing. It doesn't matter. Like there are yeah. a lot of ways to go, and I think Fastbond has already gone up accordingly, but the format just hasn't caught up to that. So what you what you saw is just that that speculative bubble surrounding it. I'm kind yeah. of interested to see what happens with uh, Karn, the <clears throat> great creator. We didn't see a lot of it across modern as a whole, but we also haven't had a lot of legacy results yet. Yeah. So I don't know what people are doing with that card, and I believe there's a, a team event coming up in, for Star City, but it's Team Modern, non-unified. I don't think we have yeah. a Legacy main until towards the end of September or October, which means we're going to rely on Moto, and so we'll have some weird flashpoints because of how the results are reported from Moto back to the public. Yeah, we've got uh, Atlanta is the next like actual event that we have coming up that's Legacy. Yeah. Um, and that'll that'll be interesting because that's kind of been the first like big event we've had since War of the Spark. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that does there because I expect we'll see some amount of mud. I know there's a lot of people around St. Louis, you know, that are messing around with mud and yep. trying to make it work because uh, you know Metalworker is good, Forge is also very good, and Karn is not great because there's not Moxen or anything, but it's still a fine main board card because it gives you four extra copies of all your silver bullets in your side. So. Yeah, yeah I, I, I like the card. It was just interesting. And maybe it was just kept off camera because I'm taking a look now, and the Tron deck in the top eight did play four. The Amulet Titan deck that fell outside the top eight did not, and the 20th place Tron deck did not. So it could have just been luck of the draw where we weren't seeing Karn in the camera matches because of how things were lining up. Fair, yeah. So it does look like there's a split right now on where and how people are playing Karn. Like we saw it in the Ponza deck that we were looking at before we went on yeah. on cam that fell somewhere in the 50th place range. That person was playing a, uh, a version of Ponza with two liquid metal coating in the main and four Karn so they could yeah. take advantage of their braids and things like that after they land Karn. The card is still viable, and it, it still has its place. It's just it didn't show up with as much prevalence as it had prior. Yeah. But like I said, if people are scheduling camera matches, that could just be that. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is, you know, Karn is actually very good in a Stoneforge meta because you can search your stuff up, but you're not going to be able to do anything with it. Yeah. So, you know, who cares? It's yeah. not... It's not hurting anything at that point. No, so. and, and switching gears to look at modern, we were taking a look at the top eight to see where Stoneforge landed. And while there were no copies of Stoneforge in the top eight, we did find out that, uh, what did I say, fifth through tenth all had 36 points. 
both the ninth and the 10th place deck had below 60% tie breaks at 36 points, which kept them out. They both supported Stoneforge Mystic. Ninth yeah. place was the Orzov Smallpox, and 10th was Azorius Control, and I believe... There was a 12th place list as well, yep. Pete Engram, that had blue-white control. Yep. Uh, and what was interesting to me is, and we talked about this a little before we went on, uh, these went back to adopting the Snapcaster package mm -hmm. and cutting board wipes. So, you know, the most that we see is basically two Supreme Verdicts and then two Cryptics. Yeah. So this is, like, diluting its control package a lot in order to support the Stoneforge engine. Um, and like, yeah, you've got three snaps, so you have extra copies of that stuff. But it's interesting that now Go Wide has a little bit more effectiveness against these decks, which it didn't necessarily before because they had Terminus and Verdict. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting is, and this is something that was actually mentioned on the Versus series uh, earlier in the week, and I brought it up uh, in our, our Patreon Discord, depending on the kind of deck you're playing will determine which sword you want. If you're mm -hmm. going to play a tempo deck like Jund, uh, or Abzan, then Feast and Famine might not be the best complement to your deck. Because you're already working on hand disruption, and if they're on zero cards, then all you're getting is an untap trigger, so Fire and Ice might be the way to go, just to keep the yeah. cards flowing and allow you to continue to mow down the board while you focus on the hand. Both yep. of these Azorius Control decks played Feast and Famine. Yeah. So, they can, so all they had to do was worry about what made it to board and taking care of those threats that would come, that would land here and there with the, the myriad of counter spells they had from from it looks like Dovin's Veto to Logic Knot single or singular Logic Knot singular Mana Leak you know paths yeah. to play to the board so they were relying on Feast and Famine to take care of the mid or late game problems that just re remained in hand so people yeah. could try and navigate to a window where maybe the control deck didn't have everything they needed on board to win the game and could or had to rely on counter spells out of hand but then a slammed feast and famine on anything could take care of the opponent's hand with yeah. whatever was left over a snap on a man on a monolink or something like that. And the that, other thing that oh sorry go no, ahead no 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 all you all you I, I was gonna say the other thing I noticed is the split between time raveler mind sculptor and hero mm -hmm. and how mid to late game those kind of synergize with the feast and famine package because you can bounce it if they're hellbent swing and get them yeah and you know conversely the removal packages so the 10th place list was running debt sphere and four path yes and the 12th place was running four path one dismember mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of interesting to see how those are going because that's a little bit more light on removal because that list also only had one verdict and as far as i know it was not on the monastery package out of the board which i thought was interesting so the the blue white lists I mean, even past those going down into, like, top 64, uh, there was a Jeskai list mm -hmm. that, for whatever reason, didn't run Geist, which seems bizarre to me, but I don't make the deck and I don't play blue and modern, uh, which was splashing for Bolt and Helix. And I would have expected a list like that to do much better in this meta. Yeah. Because when you've got so much Jund, you've got so much just, like, mid-range, you kind of need that, especially, you know, top eight was, what, three, four burn lists? Three, yeah. Yeah, having Helix is pretty good there, but mm -hmm. he may have just dodged it. No, absolutely. The other thing that's interesting is, uh, so you mentioned the, the lack of the man, uh, Monastery Mentor out of the board. Uh, it, that uh, That's Pete Ingram in 12th place who did not play Mentor. He played Gideon instead. So yeah. that was his engine, was just the guaranteed uh, 
token engine instead of relying on mentor and uh, flashing things back because there is a difference on the planeswalker split there uh, like you mentioned uh, Jacob Norton who played as Azorius Control the 10th place uh, plays two Mind Sculptor, one Hero of Dominaria and two Time Raveler where Pete Ingram was on three Mind Sculptors and two Time Ravelers he did, uh, Pete was yeah. not playing Hero of Dominaria which plays a little bit with uh, a little bit better with Mentor because you're you're drawing that card every turn for your plus you don't have to worry about uh, the minus yeah that, that's kind of interesting I was also surprised we didn't see anybody at least on camera and it doesn't look like absent did that well playing um uh, a a package of stoneforge mystic stoneforge mystic with dark confidant yeah and just a low to the ground kind of uh obs on deck like I, like I was talking about earlier in the week i thought that might have been pretty interesting um especially with uh feast and famine being able to untap all your creature lands and be ready for that seems decent yeah being being ready for defense right so you can both swing in and have vigilance and that yeah that that might be a little cute which i'm fine accepting but yeah uh, slight correction, there actually is Syracuse this weekend as Legacy, so we may oh, okay, see okay. some Karn pop up this weekend then. Nice. Um, but everything that we did see, especially on camera, uh, in the late stages of Day 2, just took advantage of the London Mulligan. They weren't relying on Stoneforge Mystic or even a lot of updates. So a lot of what we saw was uh, Tron winning, we saw a lot of Burn winning, we saw a lot of the Grixis uh, Death Shadows decks that were just yep. kind of floating along, and uh, there was another deck that did pretty well with it. Oh, Valka. Oh, yeah. But, uh, Scape Shift, whenever there's, like, whenever the format slows down, Scape Shift is similar to the Burn, just well-positioned, because control can't interact with your win condition. Yeah, and and that's what coverage just kind of noted what, was that all these decks that just take advantage of the London Mulligan better than others floated to the top. And it could be because a lot yep. of these decks just weren't tried and tested. Uh, early on in day one when they had the Ice Fang Coddle decks on camera, they were talking about how a lot of these ideas are currently 80% baked. Yeah. You know, they're, uh, while it was a mistake caught on camera in game one of the match where uh, one player was targeting his Ice Fang Coddle with Sword of Light and Shadow... Yeah. giving it protection from blue to swing in by a giver of runes. Yeah. He, they couldn't actually do that because the creature had protection from white because of sort of light and shadow. Giver can't target regardless of what the color chosen is. Yep. And so you, you, we saw a lot of that throughout the <laughs> throughout yeah. the weekend. Stuff that, that looked good but wasn't quite there. Uh, another one that looked really close to being done and something you and I talked about was the Selesnia, uh Eldrazi deck. Yeah, the screen white Eldrazi uh, just smashing on in the Ryan over turf brew. Yeah, uh, which was basically splashing for Stoneforge and Noble. Yeah. Uh, so you have Fire Knights, Feast Famine, Batterskull, and Stirrings, and then it's the classic. You know, similar to Bant Eldrazi, you're not running any Tron. Uh, you've got Thought Knots, Reality Smashers, Displacers, because you're running Temples and stuff, just trying to turbo that stuff out as quick as possible. Yeah. Um, and that was a uh, 22nd place, was the highest finish, and that actually did also run Karn. Yes. So yeah. that's an interesting piece of, like, anti-Tron tech almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously, it doesn't do anything to Worm Coil Engine, which sucks. But it, uh, it certainly helps against like Oblivion Stone and Map and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't typically come out as quickly in Modern as it does in you know Vintage, where you have 
Moxon Academy. Yeah, th- this one, this list is a little interesting with Karn. Uh, they did a deck tech with Allie Warfield, who uh, was the pilot of this deck, came in uh, 22nd place. And if you go back and watch it, they actually spend a lot of time talking about the Karn package and what she does with Karn in game, games one versus two versus three and then play draw and how useful it was to have Karn just to get things like Damping Sphere in game one, but then when she sides them in in games two and, and three, how she actually has to reshape her 75, and it was... Uh, Ryan Overturf did the interview because he created the deck, so yeah, uh, they basically talked shop for like half an hour about this deck, and it, it's really interesting where this deck is now compared to the uh, the Bant Eldrazi list, from years ago before spirits kind of came in and took that space and what this deck does versus what uh that deck did and where this is uh more of a mid-range deck than just kind of a a creature swarm or a pure aggro deck yeah and definitely worth a listen yeah i i was very enjoyable just hearing two people talk shop like that but it was something that i don't think is really discussed is like how you have to reshape in that uh i do think that you know based on what we've seen in this you know not that it's a pick for me by any means but i think the takeaway for me here is that one uh financially i'm not sure stoneforge's tier one i think it will get there mm-hmm. i just don't think it is right now you know you've got people i think at one point buy list on card kingdom right after like monday was 50 or 60 dollars Yep. And I think we'll see the price settle at 40 to 50, similar to what Bob was. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of opportunity for Tron or for uh, Karn here. Um, oh, Great creator just seems very well positioned right now. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of ways to turbo it out to your advantage. But everyone talks about how good Tron is now, mm-hmm. how good Stoneforge is. And I think it's just a very opportune time uh, to possibly go in on that. Yeah. And, uh, the Stoneforge Mystic Unbanning just parallels the Jace, the Mind Sculptor Unbanning, where people went nuts with it on Modo and appropriately because it's a brand new, brand new space to brew. So yeah. all people were seeing were these deck lists that are going four one and five zero with Stoneforge, so Stoneforge rockets. But come the next weekend, we're not seeing it put up consistent results compared to what was on Modo because all the leagues were slanted to Stoneforge Mystic versus testing for large events like this. So yeah. we will see everything kind of come back down to reality, and then eventually Stoneforge will take its place in the meta. Where that is, we're, you know, we're not entirely certain yet. But people are doing some interesting things in regards to Stoneforge tech. Takatli Honor Guard being one of the cute options earlier on in the weekend. And I'm sure, you know, people will start playing Lean and Arbiter, right? That's the yeah. Can't Search one as well. Yeah, can't search unless you pay two. I yeah. there were a lot of people that thought you know taxes would just be all over the place here because of how good Arbiter is against Stoneforge. Yeah, or not some, to mention Wurza or Scape shit. Yeah, or, or some kind of Value Town deck. You know, just green yeah. white. You know, slow you down and then dirtle with Knight until I win. Yep. Uh, it was also interesting. The seventh place list was, I think, a flash in the pan. It's the Rakdos mid range list. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing I thought about this is that, you know, I, one, the card I won't mention because we'll get to it in the pick section. Uh, two, Acolyte of Flame. Yes. Seeing that start to make waves was interesting because it... 
in that list, uh, it's Yogwill, because everything you have in your graveyard, including Command, which we saw start to go mm-hmm. up because Stone it answers Forge. both parts of Stoneforge, um, gets flashback, and it protects itself while staying the same. And I thought that was, you know, it, it was a very aggressive deck, obviously. Uh, it was designed to dump cards into the graveyard. You've got Hazaret, CZ Peasy, Bedlam Reveler, Lightning Axe, Brutalities in the board. Like, it was a deck that wanted to be in top deck mode. Yeah. Uh, and it was very low to the ground, very fast. And it's something that, you know, frankly, looking at it, I hope it gets wings. Because this deck looks fun. I just don't know if it's good. Yeah, it plays... It looks like it plays better off the top of the deck than it does from hand, yeah. which is kind of weird to say. But it also seems to play with the graveyard in a very fair way, which is also weird to say. Yeah, so, I, it's very strange. Yeah, this is another deck, like looking at the list again, that I feel kind of sits between an aggressive deck and a prison deck. Yeah. Because you have three main deck Blood Moon taking, up, taking advantage of a format that is kind of greedy with its mana bases right now. Yeah. And you have uh, Lily Vale and uh, Bedlam Reveler to just kind of chug through, load your graveyard, and then start playing from there. Yeah, like lock, and it's like your opponent out of the, their hand essentially. Yeah, uh, it's it also seems like you know with with the removal suite, it's well positioned against all of your like Grixis, Wurza. Um, humans all that kind of stuff it just doesn't seem outside of blood moon you don't have a lot of game against tron and it seems like it would beat up on the other fair decks it just doesn't have much against the unfair decks besides discard for storm yeah you have blood moon and you have the three pillage in the side which is kind of funny that pillage was all over this event yep this has been a card for forever and it's just now seeing modern seeing play for whatever play, reason yeah yeah but i mean it, it pulls double duty getting artifacts otherwise it's just kind of a worse uh, yeah stone rain so well actually eh, can't be regenerated i don't know i don't There's know no well i guess affinity yeah because affinity has uh welding, oh, welding jar. jar yeah yeah so you can't hit that yeah. so it's an interesting hedge yeah uh, for certain i like that uh Gift Storm cracked the top twenty-four, but Twiddle Storm did not. Yeah, that uh, there was a lot of Twiddle Storm. Um, a lot of people were coming up to the booth after their rounds that I knew, and like half the time it was Twiddle Storm, and it's like, ugh, no, don't. Yeah, it it's fun and cute, but it's not that great. From from what I saw on Twitter and uh, what somebody said in one of our discords, I think the most appropriate note is that when the deck doesn't have a deterministic kill, it's just miserable to play and play against. You just combo for forever, dirtling, drawing cards, and discarding. You can wind up hellbent by mistake because of ideas unbound, and then you've just done nothing but taken somebody's time and lost the game for it. Yeah, Kinda. it feels terrible yeah the the one time i remember being on camera the the pilot accidentally locked themselves under aria of flame because the only target they had was themselves thanks to witchbane orb yeah yeah it was not 
I don't know. Greatest. I'm fine with it because it made my twiddle pick even better. But it's yeah. it seems like it's bordering into eggs territory where you may get it, you may not, but you're going to F6 for 10 minutes while your opponent figures it out. So Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, like, Granted, playing Echoing Truth in the main and a handful more removal spells in the sideboard for things like Witchbane Orb and Leyline of Sanctity is awesome, yeah. but I just would rather be playing regular Storm and, and Gifting out in an environment that is a little more friendly to the graveyard than it used to be. Yeah, for sure. But... Uh, with Burn doing so well, that means that you're going to see more Witchbane Orms and Leyline of Sanctity, so this might have also been the weekend to play either one of those decks and then shelve it for a little while be- while the format kind of settles in. Yeah. And again, we see people accommodate Burn with more Core Firewalkers or um, Burnt and Forge Tenders and then uh, lay- and Ley Lines and things. So. Yeah. Uh, there was one cute play against a Twiddlestorm player that I loved from a regular Storm player, and this kind of encapsulated how I feel the two decks relate to each other. Where Twiddlestorm is like that, uh, we don't. That's the black sheep. Uh, a friend of mine was playing Twiddlestorm going against Storm, and he plays Lotus Field and goes to twiddle it in response to the trigger. And his opponent on Storm wipes away his other land, yeah, so yeah. he has to sacrifice. It was great. The Lotus Field, yeah. Yeah. That's um, practical. Yes. <laughs> it, it was just that for as much hype as there was surrounding Twiddle Storm, I think it's... We, we've got to realize it's not real, guys. Yeah. We can move on. Ar- Arcane is as cute as people want it to be, but Lotus Field and Arcane in the modern format are not as cute as it needs to be. Like, imagine if, uh... Is it Spirit of the Lab? Is that the one that stops you from drawing more cards? Yep, Spirit of Labyrinth. Like, imagine if people started playing that. That deck just dies immediately. Because everything you do draws a card, unless it's literal twiddle. Yeah. Like, you just can't play against that card until you have a removal spell for it. And you only have maybe four between the main and the side. You can't... That thing's at one four. You're never going to burn it out. Oh, uh, Spirit's play. the 3-1, actually. Oh, the 3-1? Oh, okay. I was thinking yeah. of the, the Rule of uh, Law. Okay. Yeah, Rule of Law 1 is cast a spell, which you still can't beat with Twiddlestorm because it's a 1-4. Yeah. Nobody plays uh, Magmatic Sinkhole in that deck yet, I don't think. No, they do not. Because like, you don't... You don't you have a Pass in Flames package, so to speak, but you can delve some, some Cruft because you have basic lands in there, so Magmatic Sinkhole is an option, but I don't think yeah. people are really getting at it. I don't know. But this is an interesting landscape to navigate, and it's going to be for the next couple of weeks. Like, motor results are going to be really important for the financial landscape, especially to determine what happens with the swords. Yeah. Like, we, we tracked Fire and Ice, we tracked Feast and Famine, and uh, reluctantly tracked uh, Light and Shadow as the three that matter for modern. Uh, War and Peace, Body and Mind from that first cycle don't really do much in this format because you can no longer direct the damage with War and Peace like you used to be able to. Now it's player only, you can't get Planeswalker. And then Sinu and Steel and the blue-white one that I can never remember. While Good don't quite have a home yet in the format, uh, the blue-white one is a little more aggressive than we are seeing with the decks that are currently playing Stoneforge Mystic. And yep. Sinu and Steel, while giving relevant protect- protections in red and black, have a decent impact as long as there are targets for its triggered ability. Yeah. Meanwhile, Feast and Famine is at least 
half on all the time, and fire and ice is always on. Always. And then batter skull goes without saying. That is like yeah. equipment one, and then everything else falls underneath it. But yeah. things moved kind of awkwardly this last week because we have judge promos for fire and ice for light and shadow feast and famine and feast and famine yeah and gp for batter skull which yep. is similar to the stoneforge gp promo there's just so many of them they don't count as promos basically yeah that's an interesting point that somebody uh raised and i countered this week when they were asking about the price of the stoneforge mystic and the reason the promo actually held a price higher than the set was because in my mind every time that there's a buyout that happens they just disappear so yeah. people are holding on to these things not reluctantly they were just buying every time a bnr came up and it was just scarcity that drove the price on both the world wake and the promo but yeah. once all these hit market the, that promo price is going to settle down to other gp promo prices for the time period that it was released in so around Gristlebrand, right yeah they were like back to back and you don't compare it to progenitus because people only play that in edh yeah I, so, it's like it, much much different yeah it'll command a, a higher price but it's just going to settle it's going to tank and settle a lot yeah harder. absolutely you, you don't have to believe the prices that are on these things because it was it was just kind of uh, false scarcity yeah you know, th these things it, it was you know similar to i always make this joke um splinter twin the political prisoner you know we at, at this point we have every time a banned and restricted announcement comes up splinter twin starts drying up a little more mm -hmm. and it's it's going to be real interesting now because you no longer have splinter twin and stoneforge you just have splinter twin uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens to the foils of twin and the non-foils whenever a BNR comes up, and it's like, well, are we gonna actually like see this? Yeah. Because people just swoop them up every time. Yep. And it's hovering around six, which is almost double what it was after it was banned. And you can kind of yeah. take a look at this, and it's a very stepwise graph on MTG price for Splinter Twin because you can track it against every BNR. It goes up like once a quarter, <laughs> pretty reliably. Yeah. And it's not like it's picking up incredibly in EDH. Yeah. People are still no, going to pick up this all. card, and it might trail up towards $10 eventually. But it's just going to be the same thing, like you said. Yeah. But. So, shall we take it away to picks then? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, pull up stocks real quick. So, uh, I fooled around with this pick for a little while because we've been talking about uh, my pick in one of our discords. And uh, the deck it goes in, I actually mentioned last week, one of them I found out. But um, my pick this week is uh, Jeskai Ascendancy. So uh, this was a combo card when it was in Standard. That was one of its uses. It was also in one of my favorite Standard decks of all time, just uh, Jeskai Tokens. Yeah, that where, deck was gas. Yeah, it was I just, played it in Frontier. It was yeah, awesome. It was just JVP. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is an EDH combo card, and it goes in uh, the Elsha, or whatever her name is, deck. Uh, and it goes in... The, the Kai card deck, and there's another one I'll bring up in a moment. But this yeah. was a $2 card for forever. It also had a home in Modern. It combos with Fate Stitcher, and you don't need Treasure Cruise to make this work. People play it here and there. But what we've seen recently is that because of the new releases of... the new EDH release, I should say, we've seen the average and the market invert. Yep. 
So this is a card that's just going to dry up over time and could easily double up from about 250 to 5. And it, it's a safe hold because they don't really reprint the Ascendancies that often, and they just create they just printed Simic Ascendancy, the first of the 10 guild Ascendancies. Yeah. If they'll do the other 9, we don't know, but there's still technically two cycles left to finish before they come back to revisit the first ones. Because you have the the the, sh the wedges from Khans. And then the shards, the shards from, Alara. from Alara. On top of the guilds. And I doubt a yeah. single color ones would be ridiculous. No, definitely not. Yeah, and it's also a, a fun build around E card. Yeah, in for sure. It's it's great, it's super casual, it's, it's awesome. Um, and, and it's a card that I, I mean, we're still, even though word's kind of out that it's like a, you know, three, four dollar card, we're still finding it in bulk boxes, you know, yes. like people have had this sitting in a bulk bin for years in their store. You can go check out their bulk rares that they have for a dollar and you can still pick these up mm -hmm. for a dollar. Yes. So uh, of the three, of the two, I mentioned two of the commanders, Kaikar and Elsha, but there's another Jeskai commander from that deck that is also uh, one of the top commanders now for Jeskai Ascendancy on EDH rec. And then Shu Yun is the oh yeah the highest percentage uh, yeah commander for for Jeskai Ascendancy. So there are homes for this deck in combo. Then there's like the Bruce Tarl decks, which are just uh, aggressively slanted, like heavy punch people out of the game. Yeah. And then, uh, like, just take a look at Wreck, man. The, 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 the commanders this thing supports is ridiculous. Yeah, there's is, a lot. Yeah, it's all over the place. It does everything you need because it pumps your creatures and it allows you to filter. And at uh, 3 CMC and the fact that this was in cons, you know, years ago, we've basically seen kind of max quantity until the people who are holding uh, their boxes for fetch lands dump those. Yeah. But even then, it's a small population. So you're not looking at an influx of these cards anytime soon unless it's going to be supplemental. Yeah, you know, what's out there? Sure. Yeah, what's out there is out there, and this card is only just going to keep going up in time as people buy it because it is a very good entry level card for any number of EDH shenanigans you need. Yeah, I I think it's one of the better like long term holds that we've probably ever covered. Uh, it's just very very good. It does everything you need it to. Like you said, I super solid. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of upset we didn't pick this earlier, but it's just we I forgot about it. That's fair. I mean, I, and again, I still think it has plenty of room to grow. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially the foils looking at TCG right now, they're like six, seven bucks. Yep. I mean, when this reaches $5 for non-foil, which I am fairly certain, like almost absolute metaphysical certitude that it will, mm -hmm. that's a 10 to $12 foil easily, mm -hmm. if not mm -hmm. 20 So, easy, easy. Uh, I, my pick, as you know, I we touched on earlier, uh, was in a list at the Star City, and it is Dreadhorde Arcanist. So when this card came out, it was similar to Narset and Karn, a card that immediately made waves in eternal formats. Blue-Red Delver became Tier 1 because you had, Sto you had Snapcasters and Dreadhorde Arcanist that had a butt. Yep. Uh, it didn't die to Renin 6, and that's the important thing. Uh, you had... Vintage that was running it in blue-white control, uh, Jeskai control, whatever, and now we are finally seeing it in modern, and that is you know, Dreadhorde. So it's Snapcasters 5 through 8. Yep. It can go in Grixis Death Shadow. Uh, it obviously goes in most Delver lists, and it's an imprint standard card that was opened into the ever-loving ground. 
because people wanted planeswalkers. Japanese copies are all over the place yep. because people wanted Japanese planeswalkers. There's just a lot of it floating around. So I think, you know, at six, seven bucks, you can probably still get out of the trade binders for like five to six without a problem. Uh, there's no reason not to go in on this. I mean, long term, this card is potentially, you know, in a couple of years, 20 to 30 bucks if we don't see a reprint. Yeah. Just because it does everything Snapcaster does. This card already has a pedigree Except in front much. of it, like you mentioned. Being yeah. in, in a legacy deck that it, that floats to tier one every now and again in blue-red Delver. Yeah. Should be enough to put eyes on this card. Yeah. Like, the only time it's going to get cheaper is when it rotates. And between and now and then, which is a long way out, anything can happen. Because yeah. this flashes back all your cantrips and your bolts. Yeah. And your fatal pushes. Yeah, and your stifles, spell pierce, everything you need. Like it's it's just a really good value card, and I think that, you know, if you don't want to get into it now, it's not currently making waves in standard, which I think is nice, because it means that while it's in standard, its price is going to be a little bit suppressed, mm -hmm. uh, and then once you know it rotates, like feather aggro, I think is the only thing that runs it currently. Uh, yes. Yeah, once once rotation happens though card's gonna drop maybe a couple bucks since most of its price is buoyed by eternal but that's still fine a couple bucks on you know five or six is still a pretty big percentage hit that you can absolutely take advantage of let me see something when oh, this doesn't tell me i wanted to see when war of the spark oh uh q4 2020 yes yeah, so we've got a whole year of yeah. this card in standard uh during which time it may or may not get better in standard, who knows. But I think there's a lot of reasons for its price to be deflated currently, mm -hmm. which means there's a lot of reasons for its price to go up Yes. eventually. Yeah, uh, shortly after War of the Spark released, but no, shortly after Modern Horizons released, uh, I, I traded mine out at 7. And it's yeah. been holding steady ever since on a card that that saw from then to now almost no constructive play in yep. like large and highly covered formats. Yeah. Like we didn't really have any legacy streams or, uh, and when I say that, I mean, uh, open style. Streams, yeah. GPs not... like actual large paper events. There's yeah. obviously plenty of legacy individuals. Out there. Yeah. 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 So we didn't see it any large events like that. And as far as I could tell, the feather deck never really made it on camera outside of testing videos, like, like the star city versus series, or I think, uh, the ones that CVM used to do. Yeah. And it was this card has well. basically floated along for this entire time at the same price, which should tell you that there's something out there that is keeping this, this price up. And the moment something happens, something gets printed, uh, it sees more play in additional formats. People pick up this Rakdos deck a lot more in modern. Exactly. It's yeah. just going to straight up. To so, the moon. Even if you think this card is a little too pricey to spec on, but it is a card you've toyed with the idea of playing or you think you might play, at least getting in now and picking up those copies is going to save you money in the long run. Yeah. This is also one of those cards that you might be able to pick up, flip in a couple months for a profit, and then buy in later. Yeah. So keep that in mind as, an, as a strategy for stuff like this. But, yeah, I, I think that's 
It's good. It's oh, solid. That's yeah. why I picked it. Unlike Manriki Gusari, which I did have people come and buy from the booth for too much money. I mean, that's fine because the more prevalence of equipment in modern with and without Stoneforge Mystic, the more that card is going to become a powerhouse. Yeah, less of a meme and more of a real thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we joked about it on Twitter as a meme pick, and then was it Jarvis? I, who, are, who did I respond to? Was it Jarvis? It, it was Jar Jarvis U. Yeah. Uh, posted about it on Twitter, and he's like, oh, I, I need, you know, Minriki Usari is a thing that's really good right now. And I was like, oh, Lord, no. Yeah, and I, I responded it begins. back. I responded back, like, yeah, we really enjoy our meme picks from 2012 Legacy Tech. Legacy 20, Tech, yeah. yeah. And that was basically the the beginnings of this huge legacy push by Star City. Like, from there, it was like uh, the Watsi GP in Indianapolis, uh, plane chase releases with Shardless agents, and yep. the commander decks have scavenging news, and then legacy just starts to take off. Manriki Gusari was nowhere to be found in legacy yeah. after that. Like, yeah. Stoneforge Mystic is all over the place. Nobody's playing Manriki Gusari, aside from, like, the 2011 legacy tech. Yep, exactly. But in a format that right now has decent artifact removal and does need to play this weird and interesting game of what are you doing with equipment and how are you managing it. Yeah. Manriki Gusari just might be good enough. Maybe. It's not I quite it's not quite I play GTA in my sideboard as a control deck to just cast it and destroy your GTA tech, yeah. but That was so good. I mean, uh, aside from Storm, everybody's playing creatures and this is still a good way to get rid of a piece of equipment when you're playing colors that don't necessarily support it. Like if you were playing, for instance, the, the person that played the Orzov Smallpox deck. Yeah. If instead they were on uh, black-white tokens, they don't really have a great way to deal with an on, an onboard piece of equipment unless yeah. they play, like, Demystify or Disenchant. But a, a Minriki Gusari is at least something that can be tutored up with their own Swordforge Mystic and is repeatable artifact denial. Yeah, or and it denial. gives power and toughness, which is nice. Yeah, it can't be understated in a deck that makes a ton of tokens. So there are points in time where this pe where you can live the meme dream, essentially. You we should all do it more. On. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, I guess you know, for this week, I, th I think we're we're good. There's, a, there's still a bunch more to cover when it comes to the fallout of this because we really only have a, a microcosm of what's happening in modern... Um, with Stoneforge Mystic being released, and things are going to, to shift and change the financial landscape, and yeah. you know, we're going to try and cover it as best and as quickly as possible. And uh, you know, we post on Twitter when we can, but one of the best places for that is uh, within the our patron Discord. Discord. Yeah, like that's that's what it was all week. You know, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, I was just throwing up screenshots of decks we were seeing as soon as things started popping up, and people were making moves on on the swords. There was still a discussion about. You know what goes what, what goes where, who's saying what about this, and people just started, you know, making their moves based on that. You know, so not a bad place to be. No, not at all. But I think I'm ready to go. Got some yeah, dinner. let's call it. All right, so we'll, uh, re reconvene next week. If you want to see me, I will be at GP Indie vending for Moose Loot. Nice. So swing on by, say what's up. Yeah, I think I am done for the calendar year 2019 uh, as a vendor. I might be in Montreal. I'm not sure about that, uh, depending nice. on how things go. Just in a, a relaxing capacity, I believe. So I'll keep everybody informed that about that. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Otherwise, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. I am at Thirsty Sizzler. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter and Patreon. We will be announcing shortly the deadline for the entry into our C19 decks 
giveaway and raffle. So keep an eye out for that. Well, we'll see you next week. Yep. We'll see you then, guys. Thanks for tuning in.